In the last few days, a consultation has been launched on what could be a game-changer for agriculture. It would mean we wouldn't have to spray insecticides, which I don't want to do. And how to get a service to the market in double-quick time, shorten the supply chain and collaborate with local businesses all in one go. So if we wanted to get our products to market, we had to find someone who we could work with and we could trust. And once you found that, it's amazing how quickly things can happen. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello. Hope you're gradually drying out. What a week. We'll see what the weather holds for us this week a little later. Plus, Sean Sparling reports back from the recent AICC conference and has some timely agronomy advice. And Kit Dickinson from Openfield has a look at the markets for us. I'm Steve Orchard. Let's start with this week's farming headlines. Much anger has been expressed at the new ad campaign from oat milk manufacturer Oatly, which aims to shame the older generation out of drinking cow's milk and switch to plant-based alternatives, claiming that the dairy and meat industries emit more carbon dioxide equivalent than all the world's planes, trains, cars and boats combined. Claims that have been strenuously denied as using data that doesn't compare like with like and which has been since discredited. It's your last chance to have your say on proposed changes to live export rules and the ban on urea. The farming unions are making their submissions, but individual voices carry just as much weight. Both consultation documents and surveys are on the DEFRA website. The Animal Welfare Survey closes on Friday the 28th, and for solid urea, it's Tuesday the 26th. Now, if you're not a farmer but you visit the country, this bit is aimed possibly, and with respect, at you. The countryside is a beautiful place. We know that. It's peaceful, all that fresh air. It's a great place to exercise. Sadly, in amongst the pictures of many people enjoying the countryside recently, it's worrying to see many others spoiling crops by straying from pathways. If you're not a Twitter user, you may not have seen Stuart Roberts, the deputy president of the NFU, and his video from his farm on the subject a few days ago. Here he is. One of the things that it's great to see, particularly at the moment, is millions of people enjoying our landscapes, enjoying the countryside that we are lucky to live in. But can I please emphasize, when you come out to the countryside, when you come out for a walk, do so responsibly. Please make sure you follow the countryside code. Make sure you know what type of path you're going on. You shouldn't, for example, be cycling on a footpath Look at the type of path before you go out. And most importantly, can you please stick to the footpath? Up and down the country, we're seeing paths getting ever wider as people look to go to the side of the path and damage the crops and damage soil. This is our business. This is next year's food crop. So please stick to the footpath. It's great to see people out and I love seeing people enjoying the countryside. But please remember, whenever you do so, do it responsibly. But it's not just about keeping to the footpaths. It's great to take a dog for a walk in the country, but they need to be under control. Here's Stuart again. Over the last weekend, we've seen a significant increase in the number of uh, incidents of dogs attacking livestock. In one incident alone in Wales, 50 sheep died after a dog worrying incident. Farmers up and down the country like seeing people enjoying the countryside. But please, please keep your dog on a lead if it's around livestock. Nobody wants to be responsible for their dog attacking farm livestock or wildlife. For farmers out there, 
I'm delighted we've produced even more signage that you can download off the NFU website and thousands of you have already done so. So please come to the NFU website, get your signage, get it put up on your rights of way. For all of us, enjoying the countryside is a fantastic thing, but do so responsibly. Make sure you're aware of what's round you and please keep dogs under control. Thanks, Stuart. You can find out all the advice you need about visiting the countryside responsibly online. Just go to gov.uk and search countryside code. Last week, we spoke about the government announcement to allow emergency authorisation in some cases for the use of neonicotinoids on beet crops. There was another interesting announcement from Whitehall last week as well, this time concerning gene editing, different from genetic modification, as Andrew Ward will explain for us. Firstly, Andrew, what was the announcement? Finally, the government have an, announced a consultation into looking at it. And in the past, the EU have said gene editing is the same as GM, and so it's been banned, when in fact, if you talk to scientists, it's completely different. And so this is great news for us that the government has finally decided to look at it um, to see whether it is actually feasible and, and what, what it will do. The important thing also to remember is that it won't be a fix like next year. It could be five years away. So the sooner we start to look at it, the better. So what's the difference between genetic modification and gene editing then? Genetic modification is where you take genes from another crop or even a human being and just fire them into a plant anywhere. And it can just, it's like a, a, a scatter approach where it fires a shotgun into this plant and the genes go into the plant anywhere. Now, gene editing is where you take DNA from a crop of the same species that you're trying to look at or trying to change, and you very, very precisely fire it into an exact point in that plant, in that crop. And it is much more precise than genetic modification. It has to be like, a gene from a wheat plant or grass, because that's the same type of crop as wheat, you can take a gene from there to put it into another plant. And also, Steve, gene editing, you can actually switch off a gene that is causing an issue. So that is where it is totally different. Now, that could be a game changer in food production, because if we can find a gene uh, in another um, plant of the same species that the insects are resistant to, they could take the DNA from that species, that plant, and put it into this other plant, and then that would make that crop resistant to an insect. Now, that would be a game changer because it would mean we wouldn't have to spray insecticides, which I don't want to do. Is the government calling for input and submissions to the consultation at the moment? That's what they're doing. They're calling for research organisations. There's going to be proper studies launched into it. There's going to be funding available for studies, which is the important thing. And we're finally going to really look at it because up to now, any, any studies that have, have happened have had to be under a very strict license. Um, and uh, all the areas have, have had to be fenced, had to have security on them. And then at the end of the day, that crop has had to be completely destroyed. Um, and, and so it's a really good start. It's a real game changer for us that this is where we're going to be you know, looking at to use less insecticides, less chemistry, less plant protection products, which, of course, will be better for the environment. 
Thanks for that, Andrew. If you want to have your say in the consultation or find out more, just go to the DEFRA website. Sean Sparling spent a very interesting few days online at the AICC conference. Sean, good morning. Yeah, very good morning to you, Steve. I just want to come back on something Stuart was saying there about the Countryside Code and the importance of keeping your dog under control when you're walking near livestock. And that's not just sheep, that's cattle, it's ducks, it's geese, it's llamas, it's goats, it's pigs, it doesn't really matter. It's livestock, because the natural instinct of any dog is to chase something that runs away. It's a hunting animal. And uh, when I was a shepherd, I witnessed a three-year-old cocker spaniel, the sweetest little dog you've ever met, even had a little bow in its top knot on top of its head. It slipped the lead and went into one of our fields, and within about a minute it had killed two lambs and damaged the mother so badly that we had to have her put to sleep. So for your own safety, for the dog's safety and for your own peace of mind, nobody wants to have somebody come in to say you're going to have to have your dog put to sleep because it's now worried animals and damaged livestock. So for your own peace of mind, for the dog's safety, just keep them on a lead if you're walking them anywhere near any sort of livestock. So, yeah, just going back then, a couple of weeks ago, we had our National Association of Independent Crop Consultants, the AICC National Technical Conference, over three and a half days. And it was, I think it was probably our best conference because knowledge is the key to everything not just in agriculture but in all walks of life because the more you listen to people the more you know the more you know the more you understand and the more you understand the more that other people will benefit just as much as you will we know how important the soil is to us a teaspoon of soil contains more living organisms than there are people on the face of the earth we know that we know that a gram of soil contains over 40,000 different species of bacteria and this is the livestock that we're going to be farming going forward once bps finishes in 2024 it's going to be that level of livestock production that the government are going to pay money out for public money for public good is managing the soils And it's that livestock in the soil that we can't see but we know is there that we need to learn more about. And that's why it's so important that we grab these opportunities and we grab the opportunity to learn and put that knowledge into practice. Now, just to clear something up, somebody said to me the other day, oh, when Elms comes along, it's the new BPS. Elms is not like BPS. When the basic payment scheme finishes, the environmental land management schemes will come in and they will be results-based and measures that you implement will be the thing which accredits any payment. So it's absolutely vital that people grab hold of ELMS and understand it and get involved in it. I know DEFRA are looking for more people for the pilot farms to get involved going forward. So get on the DEFRA website and get involved. The basic payment scheme will not magically reappear after 2024. It's gone. Once you get to 2024, it's gone. Elms comes in and it's a very different way that we're going to have to do business. But we can be educators too as farmers. We understand how to grow crops. And it's not just about how much carbon it takes to grow a crop, which seems to be the simple way that people are looking at it. Because it's also about how much carbon and carbon dioxide equivalent is managed and sequestered in the process of growing that crop often it outweighs what we lose so we've covered all of that Um, we looked at regenerative agriculture in in great detail actually a big slice of that at our conference the pitfalls the benefits the lessons learned from people who are doing it what they do now different to what they did when they first started how do you switch to regenerative practices whether cover crops companion crops biomulches whether they work whether that's the right way to do it whether farms already have the right kit whether they need to invest in more kit all of those things come into play when we're talking about regen agriculture 
agriculture. And we did that with the best in the business, you know, to tell us how to do it. Practicing farmers like Jake Freestone, number one farmer Jake on Twitter, and Clive Bailey at TWB Farms on Twitter. A massively rewarding session as well. We talked about fungicide advantage, herbicide advantage, biotechnology was a big part of that conference, actually. Where we are today with biopesticides, do they work? Their drawback. For example, in our trials, garlic-based insecticides uh, did very little for us on cabbage stem flea beetle. I think it's just like putting uh, a dressing on like you would do at the Italian restaurant. And also the orange um, extract did quite a lot of damage to predators. We're finding all of these things out. Nothing is straightforward. Just because it's natural, it doesn't mean that it's going to be safe to the predators and the beneficials. And personally, I still think that introducing those predators like ladybirds could yet prove to be the most viable and routine way of addressing the issues that we have with pest resistance out there. We looked at gene editing too, as your previous contributor said, where we are today. And it's a fascinating subject. You know, I believe absolutely that it's varietal traits which are most likely to drive our future in terms of disease and pest control when it comes to agriculture and crop production. Um, so a massively rewarding four days, full of science, facts, and the answer to the questions that we all need to be asking, really. I think personally, from an AICC perspective, it was the best conference yet. Over 240 of our 278 members were online for the full three and a half days. And that is an advice pool advising over 40% of all of the arable land here in the UK. So let's just move on to agronomy then. It's short and sweet, I'm afraid. All seed rate, we've still got curve to put on. You've got until the end of January. Very, very wet out there. We're struggling really. Okay, if it's frosty. So if that helps you to travel, do that. But the general picture really is water, water everywhere. Slump soils, silted land drains resulting from last year's wet winter. That just means the water's very, very friendly and it won't go away. So um, I've had 80 mil of water. It's not a lot, 80 mil, um, but it's just not going anywhere so far this month but it is January it is winter it is going to be wet this time of year and if it's going to be wet it might as well be wet now so don't even consider putting things like nitrogen on out in those fields your soil temperature is barely above two you're wasting your time just let the weather do what it wants to do for the next few weeks and we see where we are so let's see what the next seven days bring us thanks Sean Sean Sparling Sparling Agronomy Services back same time next week one of the biggest local players in agriculture has teamed up with other Lincolnshire businesses to bring a new service to market in double quick time with a significant shortening of the supply chain. Beeswax Dyson is behind the project and I asked Marketing Director Stuart Thompson to tell us about Acre and Apron. It's a partnership between two Lincolnshire businesses, which the farming business is Beeswax Dyson Farming and Pilgrim Food Service, who also own CJ Butchers, which is a very well-established Lincolnshire butcher. So Beeswax Dyson Farming and Pilgrim's Food Service started having conversations towards the back end of last year. As a farming business, we were looking for um, a butcher or a partner um, to work with who is interested in taking some of our uh, some of our animals. We were really keen to build a local supply chain um, from farm to butcher. And we realised that actually some of our aspirations in terms of what we were wanting to do, which was to get our meat to people who really appreciated the quality of the meat, how the animals were looked after and, and valued what we were doing as a farming business. And it soon transpired that, um, that CJ Butchers um, had exactly the same sort of outlook. You know, they were really keen and really proud of the butchery skills, 
how they use traditional methods to to look after the meat. And through these conversations, it soon transpired that we ought to be doing something together. It's a genuine collaboration. You know, this isn't us just supplying into a into a butcher or us supplying into a, a long and convoluted supply chain, which sometimes happens to our products. It's us working in genuine partnership. We both own the Acre and Apron brand, so we both have an equal stake in the brand, and we both work together to make sure that the products are excellent quality. And really importantly, it's a local supply chain. You know, we're about 20 miles away from each other. So the animals go from the farm into the butchery, into people's homes, which keeps the supply chain nice and short, and it keeps the quality of the product that we are actually um, really proud of. Chris Jelly, CJ Butchers, Dyson is well known for its use of technology, but yours is quite a traditional way of working, isn't it? We break down the animals as a butchery and prepare the orders that we have. We string them still by hand and everything is broken down by hand. We're buying four carcasses, so we're breaking down the carcasses for the orders for Acre and Apron, but... What we have left from the carcass will also get used up in the food service as well. Maureen John, Director of Pilgrim Foods at Boston. It may be a traditional way of working, but it's not old-fashioned in any way, is it? What CJ's um, and and the butchery that we have is effectively, um, we've invested in a butchery which is a state-of-the-art, but it's maintained and it's retained all of the traditional craft butchers. And you're bringing on some new butchers too. We're bringing butchers through and we're teaching them and Chris and the team are teaching the guys the art of butchery. They have a facility which has the highest level of food standard um, so we can give our customers all of that assurance while still giving them the quality of your traditional artisan butcher. From a customer's point of view, Maureen, how does it all work? Our customers will go onto the website and they will order whether they want to build their own box or they want to um, choose a pre-selected box. They will order that day one. Um, Chris will receive that order. He will produce that to order to what the customer wants. It will then get um, collected by our um, courier. So you order it on day one and you um, have delivery on day three. And what does the customer get for their money? They are getting um, a product that is hand-cut, They're getting a product which has been hand-packed and hand-prepared by the butchers. They'll also receive, depending again on what they they order from us, but they'll receive a recipe card. Harry Hoddart is Livestock Manager for Beeswax Dyson. Shortening the supply chain, Harry, was one of the key objectives of this collaboration. He said it was good to have a shorter supply chain direct into customers in Lincolnshire, which was something we sort of struggled with to start with, and finding a company and a butcher that would align with that set of values. And you're using some clever technology to enable full traceability. Yeah, so once um, say for example when when the cows come on farm they're all given an electronic management tag and they're all updated onto our computer system. They're then tracked right the way through their life all their growth rate so when they're weighed every month you can track their performance and you can then adjust the feed that you give the cows nearly on a daily basis if needed to monitor performance. It also allows us to spot any issues we may have sooner than you could visually see in an animal. Um, and that stays with it right till end of life then. If a consumer wanted to know one of the steaks that uh, Chris prepared and we had delivered, we could trace that back to 
farm with Harry. Stuart, this has come together very quickly from being an idea to being up and running. Probably the first conversations happened back in October time, I would say. Um, so, yeah, really quick. And I guess that's one of the real advantages of finding a business that you can work in partnership with. You know, we knew we were never going to have the butchery skills. If we wanted to get our products to market, we had to find someone who we could work with and we could trust. And once you found that, it's amazing how quickly things can happen. Well, it's always good to hear of Lincolnshire businesses working together successfully. Stuart, Maureen, Chris and Harry, thanks for joining us and good luck with Acre and Apron. Let's get our weekly market update now from Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. There is little change from a fundamental perspective, although there appears to be a difference of opinion on what impact recent range in Brazil and Argentina have had on production prospects, although in reality it is too early to tell. The plain fact is that many traders and fund managers have had a good run and they have decided to cash in some of their chips. A sign of growing tensions is the use of export taxes in major exporting nations in order to dampen their domestic food price rises. There is talk of taxes on Argentine wheat exports and Ukrainian maize exports, whilst we already know that the combination of Russian export quota and taxes has not added to the desired effect in forcing farmers to sell, meaning the tax has been absorbed by the global wheat price rise. Russia has now doubled their tax to €50 Euros valid from the 1st of March to the 30th of June, with the talk of a floating tax thereafter, the details of which are not yet clear, but which would obviously apply to the new crop. The most recent comment from Russia agricultural administrators is that they consider food price measures taken by the government are sufficient, despite evidence to the contrary. In the meantime, the major importing countries continue to issue tenders, which the EU continues to participate in despite its own perilously tight supply and demand situation, whilst the saviour of the global wheat market, Australia, is now booked solid through until March-April, with prices on the rise. Chinese futures markets continue to make their new highs amid reports of their maize production being 20 to 30 million overestimated, whilst Russian exporters hurry to beat the first phase of the 25 euro tax, which begins on the 15th of February, which is unlikely at this point to weaken prices. The US market will only believe there is a global wheat story if demand starts winging its way in their direction in the second half of the season. So, looking forward to malting barley, markets remain very quiet with little trade only the odd replacement required for a failed delivery to a home. Continued uncertainty plagues both the brewer and the molster alike, and other than the continued rollout of vaccines across the UK, offering a flicker of light at the end of the tunnel, there is little firm guidance to work on. The continent sees tougher curfew restrictions in France and Germany, extending lockdowns well into March. Most values are nominal for feed barley remaining supported by the current market. New crop sees little comment from consumers at the current time. So looking at all seed rape, volatile markets over the week with a positive market sentiment that has driven markets to near record highs, making way for a bout of profit taking and retracement of values. Palm and veg oil markets started the route with concerns over demand to India and China, which leading the initial easing of the oil seed complex, this was followed by the rain in South America, which offered the funds a signal that perhaps better production forecasts for soybeans and corn were indeed on the way. In the meantime, Matif Rapeseed Futures and Canadian Canola followed this move and fell back. With the futures markets 15 euros lower than this time last week, domestic values have also fallen back in line, not helped by the firmer British pound. 
Although trade is very thin with little activity, in the short term, all eyes will be on the South American harvest that is due to get underway next month, along with the pace of additional purchases made by China, noting that cargoes have been bought for February and March from South America. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat for January is 192 to 194, with a sharp rise into March of 208 to 210, May 210 to 212, and looking forward to new crop November 21, 160 to 161. Milling wheat premiums are currently 18 to 20 pounds. Feed barley prices this week, January 160 to 162, again with a rise to March at 167 to 169, May 169 to 171, November 21 new crop 144 to 146. Malting barley premiums are unchanged at £10 for a 185 nitrogen and £20 for a 165 nitrogen. All seed rate prices for January are 369 to 371, March 370 to 372, and May 370 to 372. Limited carry in the latter half of the season. November new crop 346 to 348. Many thanks, Kit. If you'd like to speak to Kit, his contact details are on openfield.co.uk. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A cold, crisp, mostly dry start to the week, but as it warms up from Wednesday, back comes the rain. Breezes mostly southerly today, light and variable later in the day and overnight. Mostly dry, but we may see some showers this afternoon. Highs of 3 Celsius, but down to minus 1 tonight. Dry, clear and sunny tomorrow with a light and variable breeze. Temperatures no higher than about 3 Celsius. And another cold night, down to minus 1 again into Tuesday, which looks to be mostly dry through the day with light southwesterly winds and a high of 3 degrees. Rain's expected Tuesday night as things get warmer and wetter for the second half of the week. Light southerlies on Wednesday, up to 6 Celsius and rain for much of the day. Temperatures getting up to 9 Celsius for the end of the week and plenty of showers again. Winds mostly from the west to southwest, brisker on Thursday but easing a little on Friday. Finally, a quick well done to several members of Louth Young Farmers who volunteered recently at the vaccination hub there. And congratulations to Springthorpe farmer Charles Anion, who we spoke to last week on completing a marathon yesterday to raise awareness for mental health in agriculture and funds for the Farming Community Network. I'll be speaking to Charles after midday today on Lynx FM, assuming he's got his breath back. Next week, we'll have some new agri-tech to look at. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.